0: Hello ninjas and ninjas, welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim, I'm head ninja at Exposure Ninja and best-selling digital marketing author. This show is all about helping you to generate more leads and sales through your website and boy, we have a treat for you today. The absolute legend, one and only direct response copywriting hero, John Carlton has come onto the show um, now, for those of you who who don't know John, he's one of a uh, kind of a list of direct response copywriters who was active uh, back in the day of um, direct mail and magazine ads and newspaper ads and infomercials and uh, these guys were they're responsible for some of the most powerful adverts of all time, and he'll talk through some of these um, I- during the show. If you're watching this on YouTube, we've got an extra special treat for you because we're actually going to show you some of the ads that he wrote. So we're going to show you on the screen um, as the podcast is playing so you can see the sort of style because it's one thing to talk about these ads. But if you actually see them, you'll see that the style is, is unlike anything that you see online today. It absolutely grabs your attention. And it's the most interesting thing you'll read all day, which is when he talks to you, that's exactly what he was going for. So real chance to learn from a true legend and take those principles that were so well established and so effective in infomercials, direct mail, magazine and newspaper ads, and translate them to today's world of Facebook ads, YouTube videos, website copy. You know, how do we use these things? And actually, what he says is actually the principles haven't really changed, we just need to tweak the usage slightly. So fascinating guy, some great stories. Uh, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Of course, if you want help with your digital marketing, then you can request your free website and digital marketing review from the ninjas here at Exposure Ninja. So all you need to do is head over to ExposureNinja.com, tell us a little bit about your business and we'll conduct a review of your website, your marketing and your competitors and we'll give you a prioritized action plan that you can follow over the next six to 12 months to significantly increase your leads and sales through your website. So it's completely free of charge. You go to ExposureNinja.com And then you can go forward slash review and just fill in the form and request your review. Anyway, without further ado, I want to unleash the legend, John Carlton. Welcome to the show, John. Okay. So prepare for a bit of a swollen head. Um, I've been following you for a long time. You're widely regarded as one of the world's uh, leading direct response copywriters spoken about alongside people like dan kennedy and gary halbert um in fact gary once wrote about you in his letter said something very nice um so firstly thank you for coming onto the show to share your experience with direct response copy perhaps for people who are used to thinking of copy as a uh, a tool to make websites rank Um, You come from a very different place, don't you? You come from a place where copy is actually used to persuade people to buy. So perhaps we could start by your definition of of what makes good copy.
1: Well, I am old school. I have uh, a foot in both worlds, the old school world of direct mail, print advertising, and really face-to-face salesmanship. And I was a very early adopter of online marketing. I was one of the first guys on the web. My blog goes back to 2004. Um, so I've been, I've been an enthusiastic, uh, participant in both of those worlds. And, um, the one thing that hasn't changed in copy is the fact that it is salesmanship in print. Uh, that, that was coined a long time ago. Uh, a lot of the, uh, copywriters the top copywriters you'll meet or you'll hear from or probably deal with if you start to get into what we call the a-list which are writers that you can just go to you're going to pay a lot of money and they're going to make the stuff work really well Um, they are all steeped in writing about copy that goes back to the 1920s and even earlier Uh, claude hopkins wrote in the 1920s and there's like a secret club of direct response copywriters who are really um, interested in what what the older principles are because those principles never changed. Uh, we we talk about somebody once found out that there were actually used chariot salesmen in ancient Rome, and we imagine they were using the same tactics that that people use now to sell used cars um there's there's a certain way to persuade a human being, and the general thing that we call it is salesmanship. But really, you're taking a human being as one of the most reluctant, stubborn, skeptical animals on the planet. It's almost impossible to get them to just do what you want them to do. So learning salesmanship is about learning uh, persuasion. It's about learning how to bond and especially for direct response, how to incite action, whether it is click on this link or buy this product or move to the next step in the process, whatever it is, you have to get people off of their ass to be able to do that. I talk about the typical client being a synambulant blob welded to the couch so firmly that he wouldn't, you know, move to escape a burning house and you have to get him to Pick up the phone or click on a link or somehow get his wallet out and pull out his credit card and and start and start to make the buying decisions that that make a business thrive, and it's not something simple. It's very easy to get someone to say, yeah, you know that that's a pretty good offer you got there. That's that's pretty neat. Maybe someday down the road when I really really need it, I think maybe I'll, I'll remember it, give it a try. That's easy to get to. Much harder is. To get them to that oh wait on a second let me get my credit card out don't you dare go away while i while i punch in all the numbers um huge territory between those two states and most people only get to that point of just having people say yeah that's a really good product you got there and they don't go any further so direct response is all about inciting action and it's not a simple thing to do sure um i
0: I guess These days, you know, and and agencies like us are partly guilty of of fueling this. We're told that everything has changed in marketing, you know, marketing 2.0, then marketing 3.0 and how this new Facebook ads thing has come and just changed everything. Yeah. How much, in your opinion, has actually changed since the days of Claude Hopkins or since the days of infomercial when it comes to copy and what actually makes people buy?
1: Not a lot. I have 20-year, actually older than 25 and even 30-year-old ads that are still generating royalties for me. They started out as direct mail pieces or print ads in magazines or newspapers. They, When the web got going in the early aughts, they got changed to web copy pretty much verbatim. And then when uh, video sales letters started being the thing, they got changed to video sales letters. Very few changes in the copy. The only changes in the copy were the response elements. It's like, here's what you need to do now. So rather than fill out this coupon or call this 800 number, it's click on this link and things like that. So no changes at all. These things are still running. They run regularly. I get checks every month for them. And so... There, nothing's really changed. One of the advantages of understanding direct response copywriting is that most of the advertising world has no clue what it's about. They they certainly toss the phrase around, and they can even talk about it. Maybe they've read a few books, but they don't understand all of the implications. And it's why the top direct response copywriters are the highest paid writers in the world. Um, because they know how to translate good salesmanship into print and make it work. So the, the differences that have happened have, yes, there's a difference in, um, in, uh, tension spans yet a lot of the VSLs go up to 30 minutes. Um, uh, there's, I, I, the way I've changed my writing is I used to write, uh, older writers like me were trained to, Uh, Respect space, because if you had an extra page in a direct mail piece or you had or your ad went longer in, say, a print ad in a magazine or newspaper, you had to pay for that. So we we tended to write in large paragraphs and we tended to block things together Um, online. You don't have to do that. Space is a luxury that we all enjoy. So I've gone to almost single sentence paragraphs and zipping people down because I want them to move. You know, I want them to uh, go down a, another page and another page and another page as they go. I want to make it a breathless ride. Um, so certainly that it, it, it has changed, but uh, otherwise, all, it's almost identical to what it was before. The, the web, the, the main thing people don't understand about online marketing is that the web is just a vehicle for your little salesman. Uh, Your ads are your little tiny salesman. And when it was direct mail, you put your little salesman in an envelope and send them out into the world. When they were uh, magazine ads, you put them inside the magazine and send them out to all the people who read the magazine. Now online, you put them either in an email and send them out or you put them online and and direct traffic to it. But it's the same thing. The, The web is just a vehicle. There will be other vehicles coming along soon. The only thing we haven't conquered is smell. So, you know, the next big thing will be computers that can actually have smell involved, which would be great for advertisers because smell uh, certain smells generate memories and you can lock people into NLP, um, you know, memory sequences and things like that. So but otherwise, it's just. The web is a great vehicle because it combines visual, it, com- it combines AV, audio, audiovisual. Uh, it, you can have just writing, you can have streaming you, uh, video, you can have all kinds of different ways of doing it. It's still just a medium. It's not that much different than television and print advertising and door to door people, you know, knocking on the door and, and talking to you. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. The somnambulant blob just has a phone rather than a TV remote control or a newspaper. Completely, that's right. Uh, so let's let's talk about website copy specifically. So website copy is is often an afterthought. Um, we have a page that's designed, and we know we need to fill it with some kind of text. If if we apply the the principles that you're talking about and and write good salesmanship in in print on a website, what sort of difference can that make to the performance of a website? Lots of people think about. You know, things like layout and having a nice, clear call to action. Those are the things that make an impact on a website. But actually, if we look at the copy, what's the impact that a good copy can have on a website's performance?
1: You know, you talking about, you know, putting blocks of copy and though that takes me back to some of my first jobs back in the 1980s. When I would go in and I would have to work with designers when I was working with agencies and writing and the designer would present me a design and say, here's where the copy goes. And he'd give me a little tiny space in this huge ad. He said, I I, I want copy to be gray floating blocks of distraction. And it's so like he thought the design was going to work. And that's when I learned to get really hardcore about stuff. I used to get in their faces, and they'd have to separate me from the designer. I would refuse to work with certain guys, and I would challenge the client, who was the agency, to run my copy with no design at all, just straight, you know, typed letters, versus whatever the other guy doing. Of course, I would win every time. And so you eventually develop a a um, the the top writers, the A list, as I call them, a writer to prove themselves you don't go to a A a-list writer and say send me some samples maybe we'll hire you go to them and you beg them to find this open space in their calendar over the next next year at their price Um, and the way they get to that point is by winning is by is by actually making ads work so um yeah uh the 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 battle between design and copy will never end um i i used to joke about getting designers fired i was a designer for a while i understand the designer mindset there are a bunch of designers the top the a list of designers out there work for the largest mailers like like uh, i don't know if you guys know the financial giants like agora publishing and things like that the designers that work for those guys are really steeped in direct response and they know that copy is king so they are going to make their designs make the copy pop. They're going to, the, the, the designs are going to make – make or the, the, the copy is, is the star of the show, and they're going to make that. And everything else, it, the only job of every other element of the design is to make the copy more readable um, and have more effect. So some of these designers come in, and they will help the copy. They, they start with a pretty much a block of copy that the writer writes – and then whether they're doing a VSL or they're doing a static page online, they will add pictures, they will add color, they will they will change the fonts, they will they will indent certain things, expand other things, they will do other things. But it's not for design, it's for readability and for the salesmanship that's going on. So it's kind of like taking a raw salesman. You know, I used to joke that when I was training people, I would rather take a near illiterate um, salesman, street salesman, and turn him into a copywriter. Than to start with a professor, f- with a you know a, a professor in a business school who's who's giving out business degrees because the, he won't know how to sell. It's more important to know how to sell. You can dress that up. You can take the illiterate guy, and teach him to read. You can you can change his clothes, you can give him a haircut and 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 clean him up and put him out there, and he's going to know how to sell. He's going to make that happen. You start with the guy that looks really good and try to teach him to sell. That's a whole different uh, ball game, and that's much much more difficult to do. So the advantage that direct response people have is understanding salesmanship. It's the secret sauce to everything good that happens in business, and smart people don't try to don't try to throttle that in in the least bit, yeah, for sure so
0: uh, so for the listener who's thinking, "Oh shit, my copy's probably not up to scratch, what are some of the I guess the biggest sins that you see people making today that they should go and look through their website copy, just taking it as an example um to to see if there's anything there that could be holding back the performance of their site
1: sure i I deal with this a lot in my coaching. And I, I consult with a lot of people and it almost always gets down to the actual copy. Um, it's not not being interesting, not trying to persuade, not not bonding with the person, not having a conversation. Read your copy out loud and then imagine your customer um, each Each ad that goes out there, each time you write something, whether it's an email or a web page or a video or you send out direct mail, you're 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 handling people one at a time. I call it I to thou writing. But it's just basically you and the person you're talking to and you're trying to make a sale. And the 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 attitude I want is if you've ever been in a room, you look over to say you're at a party, you look over and there's two people with chairs pulled face-to-face, face. they're leaning to, they're leaning close to each other and they're talking in hushed, excited tones. That's what I want my ads to do. I want that conversation. Now, in most ads, you can only have a one-sided conversation, but if you have empathy, if you understand what's going on in your prospect's mind, then you can fill in the blanks and you can start to answer their questions or, or voice their questions. So you can say, right about now, you're thinking I'm full of beans, right? And then you answer that um the baby is that a baby monitor
0: yeah it's my little boy luca he's like 10 Uh, months old having
1: a great time (laughs) that's great that's great he's going to be a monster marketer i can tell absolutely Um, yeah so where was oh see so so that, that that conversation so take your copy whatever it is and imagine you're sitting across from one of your hottest prospects and and your part of the conversation is your copy. Read it out loud and imagine the response that somebody's going to have. Even better, take it out and actually, actually do it to somebody, actually read that to somebody and watch what their responses are. If their eyes start rolling or they yawn or they make an excuse and want to leave the room, then you're just... You're just talking you're talking at somebody great copy is talking with somebody there's bonding going on there's persuasion there's give and take there, and again tons and tons and tons of, of empathy and it's a it's a conversation it's a it's a it's two human beings having an interaction and most people don't write that way they write in generalities you know or they write in platitudes or they or they talk at people and, and that's just a no-no. Have a freaking conversation with the most important person in your life right now, the prospect who just needs to be convinced enough to click on the link to send you his credit card to do whatever the next step is you want. If you can't convince a hot prospect to do that with the copy you're using, you're certainly not going to not to not going to persuade lukewarm or cold prospects.
0: It's it's going to feel quite scary for people to take this approach, isn't it? Because I think there's an expectation, particularly on the website, that everything needs to feel professional and it needs that we need to talk in this kind of bland corporate tone. Otherwise, people are going to think, you know, less of of, of our companies. Is that something that you find yourself coming up against?
1: Are you dealing with a lot of large companies like uh, General Motors? uh... Well, Sometimes the large BMW. companies,
0: but, but also smaller companies can be guilty of this because they look up to the large companies and say, oh, we yeah. want to be big like General Motors, so we need to talk like that.
1: So I, I get this a lot. And people, people say, what about my reputation? I can't, yeah. I can't just be colloquial. I can't use slang and stuff. What about my reputation? And My answer is always the same. What reputation? <laughs> if, if, unless you're selling the heck out, unless you are dominant in the market, then you don't have a reputation. you're trying to get one, you're trying to work it out. I don't care how many years you've been in business. If you're going up against uh, you know if if you have a, a brick and mortar store and you're trying to sell furniture and you're worried about the way you're phrasing your ads because because you see the big furniture store that with you know the the big national furniture store not doing that, then you know you're you're playing a rigged game. you're try, you're going into their field and trying to play their game and you don't know you don't know all the ins and outs. Make it your own game. One of the best way in furniture sales, I, I actually worked with a guy in furniture sales many years ago, and we got him to start doing really, really personal ads. And he was just right. He was having fun with it. He was making fun of the competition. And he, and he would do the equivalent of, of having pictures where he was actually knifing a, a sofa. you would cut the sofa and say, this one's on sale. You know, And, he's, and, and first one down here gets it for 20 bucks. And people were flooding his store because yeah. they loved the salesmanship, the theater, the, the 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 drama of it, the spectacle. So to to think that your reputation is going to be harmed your your reputation matters to one person in your life, and that ain't your wife, that isn't your kids, that isn't your buddies down at the at the pub. Uh, that isn't anybody but the guy who's going to buy your product. That's the person you want to worry about. And he wants to understand who he's dealing with. He wants to be able to trust them. People like to buy from people they understand or think are like them or share their values. Uh, people like plain talk. They, they, they don't like uh, uh, fancy uh, language that's hard to understand. They're not impressed with the fact that you can write at a college level. You know, ads have gotta be around fifth grade level. I I don't know what that is in in uh British terms, um uh level level five or something. I don't know, whatever.
0: I think it might be around like year seven over here. So is it like eleven or twelve years yes. old? Is that right?
1: Yes. Cool. So I generally write that's not a hard and fast rule. I generally write a little higher, like like if you follow me on Facebook or go to my blog, I will generally write to a to a college level but only because I'm not selling at that point. Whenever I write for a client, I'm selling, I bring it way down. And if I have to explain something, one of the, if I have to use a large word or a phrase, an industry phrase that I'm not sure they understand, then I always follow it with a parenthetical comment that says in plain English, that just means, and then I talk in colloquial terms. So, Always bringing it down to never assume they understand what you're talking about. You know, a huge thing that people do is when they think, okay, I'm going to start talking in slang or I'm going to start talking colloquially, and they start using phrases that are only well known among the insiders in the industry, forgetting that their customers. aren't insiders that's why they're coming to you to, for help or, or to buy so you got to keep explaining them. never assume that they're as hip as you are your customer needs something is in some level of trauma either because he needs what you have or he's been looking for what you have and has never found it or is worried about the consequences of having it or not having it all kinds of things are going on in his head so he's not you he's not he's not hip to all the details of this so you got to you got to make all this palatable to them, and you use language to do it.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think that approach is also quite disarming, isn't it? Because it makes the reader feel this person is just like me, and they're not. I, I, it doesn't feel like I'm being sold to necessarily, or it doesn't feel like someone's trying to manipulate me because it's all very colloquial and plain English.
1: People who say they don't want to be sold, I, it's perfectly understandable. And in, in this modern age, we are inundated with, 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 uh, with ads and people, every, you can't turn around. You can't even, every time the phone rings now with it, it, it could be a robo call, you know, over, over here in the States where we get 70% of the calls we receive in our cell phones are robo calls trying to sell us or trying to scam us on, on, uh, mm-hmm. on credit card stuff. It's, it's, it's an epidemic and it's really bad. So people feel like they have to steel themselves against being sold. But really, if you become a problem solver as opposed to a salesman in their eyes, you're still selling, but you are you are you you understand their situation, you understand what they're going through. You have a solution. It's a solution they should probably jump on right now. And if you the, what I tell marketers is that if you have the solution to your prospects problem or you or you have an answer to whatever is ailing him in life or whatever is keep holding him back and you don't use every salesmanship tactic in the book to get him to act then shame on you because you are not allowing him to have a better life he may need to be not knocked off his game a little bit and left a little vulnerable and you may have to do a few strange um Excuse me. I, I have a cold, so my ear is plugging up. You, you may have to pull out some tricks and things like, you know, there's only five left. You got to an answer today or it goes away. You know, the next person not on the list gets it after you or any of those things that people kind of cringe at. We need to do this because, again, humans are stubborn. They're skeptical. They're cynical. And they're afraid of making a mistake if they buy something. They're afraid of of having to go because they got to go and explain it to their spouse. A lot of times. So they got to justify themselves to the neighbor. So you have to arm them for that. You got to help them help them explain to others why this is a great deal, why it makes so much sense to do it this way. And then when they they feel they can they can solve the problems of other people questioning their judgment, then they can start relaxing and thinking about how they're going to do it. This is why we need such long copy usually to make make the sale. You have to overcome a lot of objections a lot of resistance and a lot of obstacles in the person's mind to make even a small sale
0: sure H- when you're working on a client campaign, how do you what what's your process for identifying what the top objections are going to be or or do they just you you just know what they are instinctively
1: no almost never one of the advantages I had early on in my career was every job was a new market, a new product, a new client. Um, I didn't start getting repeat clients uh, until a couple of years down the road. I I would work for agencies, so every job would be a new – their client would be a new market and everything. And when I do things outside of agencies, I I was a freelancer for agencies. When I was a freelancer in the general market, I was just taking every offer that came along. So I was often faced with completely different markets. And I would go read up on it. I would do it. I would do the equivalent of a Google search back then. They meant going to the freaking library. But now I I would do a Google search. But I also do what I did at the very beginning, which was simple research. You interview everybody you can. You interview the boss if, if you're a writer and you're writing for somebody. If you are the marketer and you have to decide how to sell something new in your market or sales are down, you have to rethink how to sell whatever it is you have, then you got to sit down. You got to do your own research on your own market. You got to find out the demographics of the people you're after, but even more so than their age and income and where they live and all of that. It's the psychological stuff. If you have any track record at all, and this is what I would do with new clients, I want to interview the owner. Yes. But I don't take what the owner says as gospel because he's often isolated from what's going on. So I want to talk to the feet in the street, the salesman, if he has any, the guys are on the phone with people. I especially want to talk to the, um, customer service. i want to find out what the main complaints are. I wanna find out what the main reason people ask for refunds are. I wanna find out all that good stuff that the owner often is oblivious of. And if you're the owner, you better go and talk to customer service a lot, all the time. Find out what people are complaining about, what their questions are, things like that. These are things you must address because people who buy and then ask for a refund, if you can save those refunds by addressing those issues, then that's as good as another sale. So rather than losing one, going down one, you you keep the sale. That's like making a sale. And to people that you go out who are thinking, who are one step sideways of them, who are thinking, yeah, I'd buy, except I'm not sure if it will fit my living room, or whatever the problem is. Then you address it. Hey, are you afraid this is not going to fit in your living room? Do this. Take a tape measure out. You know, if you got more than 10 feet, you know, from the wall, something like that, just, just address those things. So, you know, for... For knowledge is uh, is is a powerful uh, weapon. How talking about
0: powerful weapons, the story behind a business or or a product? I think there can be a lot of trepidation about sharing that. It's almost as if all well, people don't really care about the behind the scenes stuff. It is is the story of a business or a product something that you'd use on and, and how do you tell whether it's going to be a useful sales asset?
1: Well, Usually the story does matter. It's called an origin story. If you're into, um, uh, like Joseph Campbell, a lot of, um, copywriters get into psychology or NLP or certain things because they want to know how people process ideas and how they think. So psychology is huge, but you only need pop psychology really. So, um, What was the question exactly?
0: How often would you use a product or business's story? And how do you tell if it's the going story, to be used? That's
1: right. So so when I talk about the origin story, a lot of times it does make sense. If you were a disgruntled employee of, of another large company and you realized that company was not meeting the demands or the needs of their customers and you formed your own company, then that's a, that's a lock. That's a great story. You'll notice that a lot of people who sell Services talk about the rags to riches. I was living in my car and blah blah blah. I, I actually have a, that exact story. It's a real story that I use in my um, in my speeches that, that I give on stages around the world. Um, and and it does a couple of things. It humanizes you. It also it also brings to the forefront just how powerful this stuff is. Uh, if you have a rags the riches story, or here we started with almost nothing, or, or anything like that. Um, you, do you guys do you have Shark Tank over there? Is it yeah, just yeah, we've got equ- Dragons Den as the equivalent. Dragons Den. So yep. you have you have the, the British version. Um, Though you'll notice a lot of those guys go on and enable to to enable to endu- entice. The the uh, venture capitalists into funding them. They will tell their origin story. Here's why I'm doing this. And and there's a couple. And you'll see them blow it sometimes too, because they will try to rely on raw emotion. This is my last chance. I've sunk every penny I have into this. And if this doesn't work, I'm destitute. That ain't gonna do it. But if you say, I put my heart and soul into this and when it didn't work, I kept after it and I made it work and I did all the stuff, then you're going to get people saying, "Okay, I like that. That's the kind of entrepreneurial spirit we're looking for. So so there's that kind of thing. There's also the the, the, just the sheer bonding of letting people know that you're not a corporation, Um, a corporate, even a corporation is other people. It's like Elon Musk is is his corporation's face and for better or worse he he helps he helps personalize everything so when people have a tesla if they see a tesla on the road oh there's elon's you know you yeah. know uh, automobile um uh, uh all, all of the guys steve jobs all of the guys that became faces their personalities didn't have to be the kind of guy you'd want to sit down and have a beer with at the pub they could be the kind of guy that, yes, I want him in charge of things, or I believe that what he's doing so um the 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 origin it depends if you have a boring origin story, you know, yes, I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I went to the finest schools. My father gifted me this business. You know, then that, that's not a story unless you could turn it around and make fun of yourself at the end. And I took that those gifts and I immediately ran everything in the ground one day away from bankruptcy. How did I turn it around? I blank and then you move on. So, yeah, so it's 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 kind of like You know, the advertising is like a big cocktail party. You got to meet strangers and you have to, you know, one of the things we talk about with the USP, which is the uh, uh, unique uh, uh, sales positioning term that you have, is it needs to be a part of an elevator chat. An elevator chat is you're in an elevator going from the ninth floor to the ground floor with somebody who would be a hot prospect. If you could only tell him in that time from the ninth floor to the first floor, what it is you do and what you offer. So let's say you're walking into an elevator on the ninth floor and the guy next to you is talking to another guy. And he says, oh, yeah, I have this huge problem at work. I block. I, I don't have enough sales. I don't whatever it is. And whatever he says is what you solve. Then you turn around, and you go, excuse me, I couldn't help over here. What do you say in those seconds? Going from the ninth floor to the first floor to get him get him interested enough to maybe say let's talk more or to accept your business card and say yes I will definitely call you or to have him understand what's going on most people can't do that it's very brief it's very and and it has to it has to hit hard so. You don't go into a, yeah, when I started out, you know, I was born in a log cabin, You can't do that in that very short period of time. You have to get straight to the point. Then when you get out of the elevator and he says, I'm interested, what else you got? Then you, can, then you can start that process of here's how we arrived here. It's very interesting. I used to be a blah, blah, blah. I used to work for the CIA. And then, you know, that got me into psychology and I learned how people are blah, 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 whatever that story is. So the top writers can take any story you have and turn it into an interesting hook. But a lot of people are too blinded by their own stories. Um, I used to find my best hooks. And a hook is usually in a headline that, like, grabs you and goes, what that can't be? Or, you know, what's this idiot idiot talking about now? I, I used to find my best hooks by getting the, the, um, uh, person who who is running the company, my client, to talk about his old stories. And he would often say, eh, we have an old story about blah, 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 but I don't I don't like telling that anymore because everyone's bored by it. And what he means is that his wife doesn't want to hear it anymore, his family's tired of hearing it, his buddies at the pub don't want to hear it, and his colleagues don't want to hear the stories anymore. But his Customer, his his uh, potential customers haven't heard that story yet, and it was really powerful the first couple times he told it. He just told it too often. So when I find those stories, and it's often in the origin, it's where they came from, how they stumbled on on the on the product or the idea, the formula or whatever. There's often a fascinating story that gets ignored because the owner is tired of telling it, and everyone around him or close to him is tired of hearing it, so he thinks it's not good anymore. So there's
0: something about stories that just I notice a lot of times at seminars when people are a bit bored and they're playing on their phones and then as soon as the speaker starts telling a story, they put their phones down and they start watching, don't they? And if it's you were saying about the having to justify the purchase of their partner, it's often the story that they will take to their partner. There just seems to be something about stories which like shortcuts into people rather than just features and benefits, I think.
1: Before writing, we relied on stories for transferring information, um, songs and stories. And that's how you told people what the seasons were about, how to remember when to plant, when to when to harvest, when to uh, hibernate. You know, when when, you know, it's we are wired. We are we are intrinsically wired to like and process stories. It puts everything into perspective for us. So all top writers are great storytellers. They may be short stories, but the more you can weave it together in a story, this is how myths uh, happen. This is how legends happen. This is how reputations happen, is by having a story you can relate to. What's, you know, like Gary Halbert. I think you've, you've mentioned that people under, you know, know Gary Halbert. I was, you know, I was Gary Halbert's best friend for 30 years. Um, and... People would, just can, to this day, years after he's, he's been gone, have a story to tell. If you get 100 people who are Gary Halbert fans in a room and you ask them to tell the story that kind of epitomizes Gary, more than half will tell the same story. Maybe three quarters will tell the same story. And the other ones will tell stories that the other ones will have heard. And they'll say, yeah, yeah, I remember when he blah, 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 blah he said this or he said that. So stories are great uh, uh, memory enhancing things. And you got to remember that even though people are being bombarded with advertising, you still have to be memorable out there. You have to have some easy shortcut way for people to remember who you are, to remember your name, your business name, what it is you do, uh, because it's, it's, uh, people's minds are, are being overwhelmed all the time. That's why you want people to act right now while their eyes are on your webpage or on your ad or watching you. You want them to act right now because if they walk away, salesmen know that the chances of, of making that sale just plummet immediately for every minute that they that they do not act right away. You're talking about losing 50% of your audience and another 50 and another 50 and another.
0: Yeah, that's so true. Um, as you were talking about um, hooks, I was just grabbing up some of your ads. I love the amazing secret discovered by one legged golfer. Adds 50 yards to your drives, eliminates hooks and slices. So that's like a straight between the eyes hook. As soon as I see that, I have to read that ad, right? I guess today when you know, you're know you imagining someone's recorded a, a video ad on Facebook, so the audience is scrolling through and then the video starts auto playing and if they've got captions, you've probably got like five seconds to try and hook them with something like that. How do, if we talk about creating video scripts and, and videos that sell, how can we kind of replicate that big, bold, crazy headline that just entices people in a video without this kind of, hi, my name is blah, 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 and all that kind of boring crap that people start videos with. Like, how, how do we take some of that magic and put it into video form?
1: Well, the way I write VSL scripts is the way I write ads. I have a headline right. now in a, in an ad, written ad. You would see the bolder uh, uh, font. You know, you know it's a headline because it's a bold font, like in a newspaper or something. Then a subhead, and then you get into the copy. When you're speaking, you use the same words. You mm. you just you aren't saying a headline. You you may phrase it slightly differently. Like here's something you don't hear every day, and then. Then you, you bomb right, right into it. But it's the same, same idea, the same copy. So the, the way to, to understand that is to get ads like the one-legged golfer ad, to get a lot of those ads together and look at them and try to, try to understand what the magic that, that is going on. A lot of, that, that one-legged golfer ad appeared like a bolt out of lightning out of nowhere in the very staid, boring golf magazines. We went straight into golf magazines hundred grand a pop with three pages. Nobody had ever done that. They'd never seen that. The, the, the ad, the media department at the magazines, and this was uh, Golf Digest, I believe, or Golf Magazine, the biggest one on the stands, still the biggest one on the stands, they tried to talk my client out of running <laughs> this ad. They said, this isn't going to work. You know, we don't want to take you, they they don't, they didn't want to take a hundred grand from these guys because, and we didn't know it was going to work either. Because that was the first golf ad I wrote actually. And, uh, but I had a pretty good hunch it was going to work and they did it and it worked like crazy. So about the third or fourth time they inserted that ad in a row in the magazine, then the guys started saying, why, why do you keep running this dog ad? And then my client was just, you know, didn't say anything. And they started moving it farther back in the magazine. They started trying to do things to sabotage it Mm. because they felt it was bringing down the classiness of their magazine. But what 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 that ad did was talk to the regular golfer, which is 90% of the audience. And what the magazine wanted to talk to was the 10% of the guys who were young and athletic and had windmill swings and were really good already. And that's who that's who they imagined their readers were. When in fact their readers were old, fat, arthritic, and couldn't break a hundred to save their lives. And that's the guys we wanted. We didn't want those athletic guys. We wanted the guys who were intrigued by the idea of a one-legged golfer. Oh my God, what you know? What what he knows maybe? So and the the, the copy of that ad talks about. I don't care what kind of shape you're in. And the next ad I wrote was about a guy who had. had arthritis he was like 60 years old i've got to find that one that is a brilliant way overweight yeah it was like he humiliates pga pros on this secret uh and it's a true story that the pros play you know when they're not playing for the camera they play their own games and they play with their own money if they lose they're not Mm. or if they win they're not winning a corporate sponsor's money they're winning the other the other guy pulls out his wallet and shells out you know 50 grand and this guy was beating the heck out of. I mean, he was fat and he was overweight, and his knees were were so you know the doctors wanted to operate immediately on his knees. And that was something that people could really identify with because most golfers, uh, I golf, and most golfers I know are older. Their backs hurt. You know they they don't have they don't have a windmill swing. There there's a lot of holes in their game, and they they want to they want to learn the inside stuff so quickly they can start humiliating those young guys that that have been humiliating them. Mm. So this was psychology. This was uh, common sense. All of this stuff came came into play. And it's like you, the thing about an ad, whether it's a VSL, a web page, a direct mail letter, something in a magazine, or even face-to-face, you have to be the most exciting thing he's seen today. You have to be the thing that gets his blood moody. I say his, his or hers. Um, you have to be the, the one thing that he remembers today that shocks him out of his complacency, that makes that scenario blob sit up and go, what? And, uh, you know, to do that. And, and you also have to remember that, you know, in a big, um, in a big audience, you're going to get maybe four or 5%, actually two to 5% of the people are going to respond to you. Mm. If you can get 5% on a, on an ad that's running, that's a, that's a major hit. That's a control. And that means 95% of the people are paying no attention or aren't interested right now, or you didn't somehow flip them. So we're not talking about going to an audience of 100 people and sell making 100 sales. You're going to make two to five sales. So you got a multi- So then the game is is scaling. Rather than try to sell to 100 people. You try to sell to 100,000 people. Then the number of sales go up, and then you're off to the races. But you're only Gary Hobby used to call it sell to the foxes not the dogs don't worry about what the people who aren't going to buy think or say about your stuff worry about what the people who might buy you know are are going to say and make sure that they buy that's a very very important difference in the way you look at your ad
0: the headline in that ad that you referenced there how does an out of shape 55 year old golfer crippled by arthritis and 71 pounds overweight still consistently humiliate PGA pros in head-to-head matches for hitting every tee shot further and straighter down the fairway.
1: It's all true, by the way.
0: And it's, it's kind of funny, isn't it, to read it. You're like, sure. And there's like a super headline which says, if petite women and 12-year-old kids are using this secret to hit perfect drives over 250 yards, imagine what it can do for you. Are you ever scared that you've pushed it so far? It becomes unbelievable.
1: So that client, I don't know if you know the story, but I had actually retired from business for a little while. I, uh, I I quit working with, I was working very closely with Gary Halbert. I just took a break. I took a couple of years off and I formed a three-piece rock and roll band and played in biker bars all over Northern Nevada um, and was having a lot of fun and just dabbling. I was living off my royalties, so I, I was living the life. This client wanted me to write for them, they were desperate for me to write for them. And I said, and they said, what will it take? And I said, you know, a very high percentage of every sale you make, and you gotta run everything I write. And they said, we will do that. We will run everything you write, word for word, as you write, and we will take the heat. The only thing they would, would, they might wanna negotiate certain legal claims, but I'm very careful about legal claims anyway. So what they did essentially was take the leash off me. Up to that point, mm-hmm. I had never had an ad run that a for a client that the client hadn't stepped on in some way, hadn't changed a word in the headline, hadn't changed some of the copy, hadn't done some stuff. They felt they had to do it. And it's infuriating, and it's what 99% of all copywriters go through. They never get to see their stuff out there as they know it should be done mm-hmm. you know, in original state. These guys said, we'll do it. And I said you're on. And we, I wrote for them for well, 20 years, and uh, it was the most fun I ever had. And I would, and they, they started learning how to find these hooks. So after a while, they started coming to me, and they found they found a blind golfer. Uh, there's actually a blind golfing association in the United States. That I had no idea existed. Uh, they found a guy who was made the last spot in the L.A. Open. It was 1989 L.A. Open, I believe. But he was on his deathbed the day before, literally with pneumonia, I think. I can't remember what it was. And he got off and he crawled to, the, and he qualified for the last spot in the L.A. Open. That made the headline. And then they just started finding all these strange stories that I could do. And these guys had video, video teaching, video or DVD uh, teaching programs where they could teach you how to chip, how to putt, and things like that. So every, there was a lot of those programs out there. But what sold them was the story. Mm. so the guy you know the guy who worked with a blind golfer and the blind golfer taught him things he didn't believe that you know could could work but they worked and they were and he realized how they could help you know people with good eyesight how they could take the same principles and here's the story and here's the product and we're off to the races so that went on so as far as pushing it too much i if well i got a call from that client once and they said john you know, the last two ads you wrote that we ran uh, in golf magazine, they they were also in bodybuilding and supplements and a, a bunch of different stuff. But the golf was really rocking it for a while there. And they said the last couple of ads you wrote, neither um, uh, Russ nor I, those were the two owners, got any sleep for like a week waiting for that ad to hit. And when it hit, you know, then, you know, we were still nervous. We got some, you know, flack back and things like that. But the ads worked really, really well. And he was leading up to something. He says, the reason I'm telling you this is that this ad, if if we run this ad, I'm going to sleep like a baby tonight. And he says, so I want you to beef it up. So he came back to me and he said, make this more dangerous because he knew that if he was going to sleep well when that ad was submitted, it, it wasn't going to do as well as the other one. So you That's know, that awesome. was that was some interesting stuff. So, no, I have an internal monitor. i I'm very em- empathetic with people and mm. very sympathetic. So I understand people and I, I led a hard life. So I understand this stuff. So I have an internal governor that warns me when I'm going too far. That said, Gary Halber and I used to write our bed, he- best headlines by starting out going too far. Mm. We would write headlines of stuff that no way would they would we allow them out into the real world. There'd be swearing in them, sexual innuendo. There would be horrific stuff. But from that, the genesis of the idea, what if we could sort of say that, but not in those words? Mm. What if we could make people think there was a sexual element here or or make people understand the sexual element or make people understand these things, but not say it? So couch it. So we would walk it back. We'd start out over the line and walk it back till we're just inside the line. And that's the perfect headline. Most people, they write ads, they start meek and they try to beef it up. That doesn't work.
0: So if we want to study the most unfiltered John Carton possible, go and check out the golf ads. Is that what you're saying?
1: Golf and the uh, self-defense ads. Um, yeah, a lot of them are included in my books and stuff. Yep. So, you know, I cool. don't know if you're giving people my, my blog or... Yes. You're telling them something. Yeah,
0: we link all of that stuff in the show notes for sure.
1: Good. So if you, if you go to the blog, my books are... Are offered there the blog is by the way the archives are all free and it goes back to 2004 so that's a uh, and I talk about a lot of this stuff it's all it's all aimed at entrepreneurs and writers and marketers and business people so
0: it's a hell of a resource well, that was it fun. Really
1: yeah
0: I'm um, cool are you okay for another five minutes John is that all right sure awesome um so I want to ask you about emails um I know that, you know, whether it's the A pile or B pile, or I think Dan Kennedy said people sorting their mail over the waste pile, paper that was, basket. That
1: was Gary Halbert. Was that Gary that was Halbert? Gary,
0: um, A pile,
1: B pile speech, yeah.
0: And the, the, the kind of story behind that was, if you don't stand out when you're sending people mail, you're not even going to get read. So what's in your sales list is completely pointless. Obviously, nowadays we have email. Um, and the same kind of principles apply. But now we've got things like Gmail actually filtering out your emails so you don't even get through to people in the first place. How can people cut through the noise in such a, a kind of brutal world now? How can we actually get our emails read and use things like compelling headlines?
1: Well, Dean Jackson had the most brilliant one. You you know that, Dean? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Dean Jackson talks about the seven-word headline, you know, are you still looking for a house in, you know, Cleveland, Ohio, something like that. So by By asking intriguing questions by by tapping into what what the prospect is thinking, if you're using house lists, you should know what those people are thinking about, what their concerns are. House lists can be half half prospects, half customers, mostly customers, mostly prospects doesn't matter they've already responded they've gotten on your list you're writing to them That's a chance to be very, very personable How do you get a how do you get grandma to open an email how do you get um how do you get your buddy, uh, you know, who's going to meet you at the pub, you know, next Friday to open your email? How do you get, how do you get people you know and care about to open your emails? What kind of subject lines do you have? Do you do boring stuff like, hey, here's an interesting way to save five bucks on your next shopping spree? You know, no, you don't. You don't do that um, to the buddies, to the guys you know. A lot of times it's the outrageous headlines or some version of, you have got to see this, something like that um or uh uh, the the email subject line is what's most important of course and that is a mini headline and it's a small short headline uh twitter was great when it first came out with the uh, uh, um was it 140 uh uh, character count yeah because it forced people to get really really compact in their thinking uh google adwords when they came out, now it's just Google advertising. But when AdWords first came out, they had, you know, the, the definite limits and what you can do in an ad—the line one, line two, and then line three—forced um, people to start getting really pithy and start thinking about what they're doing. And email is the last refuge of this. It's people can still write longer. Uh, subject lines, but they don't always show up in your inbox. So it'll say who else, and then there's nothing else there. And so you gotta you gotta think about how how fast you can get in there. And and you do you you want to be the most interesting thing they've read today. You wanna you wanna uh, you wanna needle the the points that hurt. You wanna uh, you you wanna offer some kind of a story. You you want to get in there. There's all kinds of things you can use in your emails depending on your relationship with the list. If you're going to cold people. If you're somehow got an email list where everyone's cold and they haven't heard of you, then you got to be you have to approach that as you're walking into a big party and no one knows who you are, no one cares who you are, no one's going to introduce you, or try to get somebody to introduce you. That's third party validation. Often that can be, you know, here's why Bob's friend. If you're going to Bob's list, here's why Bob Smith's. Um, here, here's why Bob Smith uh, stocks my ads, for example. You know, if you're going to Bob Smith's list, for example, something like that. So, so there's all these different ways. But you have everything, the most thought has to go into the, into the subject line to get people in. Then you continue the story. You don't abruptly say, ha, now that I've got your undivided attention. You know the old joke about the guys who used to run uh, uh, ads in the classifieds that would say sex. And then it says, now that I've got your yeah. attention, let me tell you about this insurance, you know, opportunity. Uh, You you can't do that, Um, although you can try it, but you'll you'll generate uh, ill will. Um, But you just got to think about what can you say that will get someone's interest, head-turning interest. So you walk into a party, you say something, and people turn around and they they look at you. Um, It's your job to understand what irks them, what excites them, what they hate, what they love what they uh what they're most interested what kind of pain they're going through things like that so you don't try to come in in a roundabout way or lackadaisical you come in and you shock people or you let people know you know what they're thinking or you you know you 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 start a conversation that's going to be the most exciting thing that's happened to them today Mm -hmm. even in an email as far as length of email I do both short and long. Sometimes very short ones leads to a link and then it takes off. So the job of the email is to get them to hit the link to go to the blog or somewhere else where the main the main sales pitch happens. So the job of the email is just to get them to hit the link. That's all I'm thinking about. I'm not thinking about the sale, nothing. Yeah. Sometimes the email does some selling. If the email is doing the selling, then it needs to be a lot longer. And the story has to be more intense. And you're essentially doing a very long uh, email. I've made those work. They generally don't work as well. Uh, I do in-between emails mostly. I just don't, you know, I keep everything very pithy. I deliver what I need to deliver. And then I either send them to a link or I try to make the sale right away.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, John. Um, I want to ask you finally about becoming a better writer. There are going to be a lot of people who have listened to this and feel inspired to improve their own copy. Um, And and folks like yourself often work from what are called swipe files, which is maybe your collection of ads or or copy that you like has been successful. So when you're sitting down to write, whether it's an email or a Facebook ad or Google ad or whatever, you, you have something to work from. For people who are aspiring to be as as good at their craft as you are, how important is a swipe file and and how do you kind of start compiling it? Is it just stuff that you like or stuff that you've tested or stuff that you see around?
1: It has to be controls. You have to understand what a control is. A control is an ad that goes out and it works and, The larger companies are always running competing ads against it, either A-B split test or A-B-C split test. They're always running other ads trying to beat the control. So the happiest day in a business owner's life is when he has has the first control. He has an ad that worked. It it brought back a profit, and it worked really well. Now his next job is to knock that off, Mm -hmm. to write another ad that will be better than, than that ad maybe a different writer, maybe the same writer, maybe a different idea, whatever, keep trying to do that. And then when that one becomes a control, then the next one comes along. So swipe files should, you should always know what the results were of the ad. Try to find out in the, in the old days, if you saw an ad appear in a magazine over and over again, you could assume it was a winner because they wouldn't run a loser. Mm. Um, online it's how long the things are I, I i often not often i have gotten clients to call competitors before and just ask them hey i just noticed you guys are running a new ad is that working and the person on the phone will say yeah it's the best ad we've run you know in six months and, so, and that's fair that's you know all yeah, yeah. fair and level more. so that kind of uh that kind of research counts um it, when I was doing direct mail, I used to get some of the best direct mail. I had an end to what was working or not because I knew people who knew people at the agency. So I'd find out. So I never tried to tear apart and research any of the losers. I would look at them and and maybe try to see what went wrong. But the ones I studied were the winners and I'd mm. break them down. Where, you know what, what is he saying here? How is this leading me to the next part of the letter? Things like that. So if you can get controls... Um, and usually it's by you know repetition, how often they you see them, uh, or try to find out if they worked. Then you know, there are some top writers, some A-list writers, who only write from their swipe files. They would, mm. they will reach down, they'll pick up my you know one-legged golfer ad, and they're selling mousetraps now, or they're selling you know insurance, and they'll say, how could I make that work for insurance? What could I change? And mm. they'll actually. Sw- I actually gave a seminar about. I don't know, 10 years ago, called License to Steal. And I actually taught people how to take my ads, just my ads, and convert them to whatever they were doing. So it doesn't matter that I was selling golf. If you say the one-legged golfer, so the one-legged golfer, if you're selling mouse traps, it's going to be something about a guy who is in pest control or something like that, and something odd, like the blind pest control guy or, mm. you know, whatever. So you you can fit that in. So... You, you begin to you understand the little chunks of salesmanship that happen in headlines and copy all, all the way through the entire process. You say, I could, I could use that for whatever I'm doing. And, yeah, there are a number of writers, not all of them. Most of us like to do original stuff. But some writers just rely on their swipe files for inspiration, for ideas on headlines, and uh, for actual, actual headlines with just a few changes to make it work for them. John, does it make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely makes hundred percent sense. I think the tendency can be just to grab things that we like, and of course, like you, you said, you don't really know if if that works. So you kind of need to get calibrated first, don't you? you? don't want to copy a loser for sure.
1: There you go. That's a great word. Thank you
0: so much, John. This has been uh, amazing. Um, yeah, thank you so much for your time. I, I want to respect your time, and, and uh, we're, we're wrapped up with now with an hour. So where can people find out more about you? Follow your blog, and of course, read your awesome book.
1: Yeah, just go to john-carlton.com. It's j-o-h-n-c-a-r-l-t-o-n.com. That's the blog. And it's kind of the the one-stop place you can find out about consulting. All of my books are listed there. And, again, the archives are free, and they go back to 2004. Um, And I would suggest that you sign up. At the very top, there's a free special report, something about 11 blunders. And you sign up there and you will be alerted to when there's a new blog post and you can find out other things that's going on. If I'm going to be speaking somewhere, I'm going to be holding a mastermind in some city, you'll find out about it. And uh, that's the best way is to get on my list and, uh, you know, take it from there. Awesome. So go, go to the blog and feast. That would be the, <laughs> my advice.
0: John, thank you so much for your time today, buddy. Much appreciated.
1: Yes, appreciate it. Thank you, Tim.